Good morning, church family, and a warm welcome. My name is Nathan, one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning. If you have a Bible in front of you, feel free to open it up to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been recovering from a cold since about September, but I feel better than I sound. Uh, Technically, we just wrapped up our sermon series on the parables of Jesus last week. So in a way, this week is an epilogue with the goal of leading us into a time of thanksgiving that we'll do together corporately. And today we're going to be looking at one of, if not the most well-known parables of Jesus, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's read this story together. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you help us not to pass this moment by? Would you give us eyes and ears to see and to hear your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The journey I want us to take this morning together is to first look at this story and then the conversation, and then what it means for us. So the story, the conversation, and what it means for us. I read this last week. Uh, The Standard Journal is looking for a young man, possibly a BYU-Idaho student, who rescued a professor from choking on Thursday. It was a recent uh, headline from the web search that I did, Good Samaritan. The young man, it seems, gave the Heimlich maneuver to Professor who wants to thank the young man who saved her life, but he didn't stick around to share his name. Good Samaritan. 
In fact, if you look up a definition of Good Samaritan now in most dictionaries, it would be some, something like this. Someone who is generous and who isn't afraid to help someone in need. I also read about a Brazilian Good Samaritan by the name of Antonio de Mello, who runs a charity called the Catholic Community of the Child Jesus, and he cares for more than 100 disabled children who survived abortions and often have no one to take care of them. Some mothers in Portugal and Brazil uh, resort to taking lethal drugs to abort their babies, even though it's illegal in their countries. And the truth is many of these children survive with severe disabilities. And one of these children, his name was John, and he was born almost without a brain called anencephaly. And the boy who was told that he only had months to live is now nine years old and a beautiful member of this community. You can hear more about that story of this Brazilian good Samaritan in a documentary film called Human Life. And the Brazilian ambassador to Washington called this community, this Jesus Menino community, an embassy of heaven on earth. Good Samaritan. And now let's look at verse 30, if you would, because this is the origin story for this good Samaritan Verse 30, we see that Jesus begins this parable with a man who's walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which we know is about a 17-mile walk, and it was a dangerous journey. We know it was a dangerous journey because of the outcome of this story. It proves to be true. He's robbed and he's roughed up and he's left for dead. And that's the opening scene of this story. And then Jesus goes on and introduces us to three more Characters, the first two are religious leaders who more or less tiptoe around the victim, passing them by. Perhaps out of some sense of their own imminent danger, wouldn't want to stick around the neighborhood where this just happened to someone like that, or perhaps a desire to remain ritually pure. We're we're not really told their motivations, but we are told that either way, it was inexcusable what they did, that they didn't show compassion and care for this victim in the ditch. And then we meet this final man. And you can imagine the audience's waiting intention to hear who the hero of this story would be. But shockingly, the hero of the story is identified as a Samaritan in verse 33. And you have to understand the context of the original audience because the Jews and Samaritans hated one another. They hated one another. And in many ways, those tensions exist still today in the tensions between Israel and Palestine. Both claim to be the inheritors of the promise of Abraham and Moses and the rightful possessors of the land. And so for any self-respecting Jew of that day, the word good and Samaritan together would have been a complete oxymoron. And yet, the story tells us that it's the Samaritan who had compassion. And not only that, who gave of his own time and his resources to restore the man in the ditch to wholeness. 
story tells us that he even left a blank check with the innkeeper so that he would pay for any additional expenses that the injured man might incur. And so you might be asking yourself, okay, what's the point of these stories? Because so far, if all you have are these stories, maybe you're a bit like me and a sense of guilt starts to creep in. Am I like the hero in these stories? What would I do if I was in this this situation? Maybe we've got a little conscience on our shoulders saying, do better. I, I can do better. I can be like this good Samaritan. Don't be afraid of someone who's in need. Now, some might think that actually that's the point of religion, just to guilt us into doing what's right. Maybe some of you even think that's what my job is. That's part of my job description. But you'll notice we don't say guilt changes everything around here. It's true, guilt may actually work for a time, but it's not lasting. Lasting change only comes when you encounter Jesus on the road. And so look with me at this conversation that Jesus has with the religious leader. You'll notice we skipped over verses 25 through 29 and verses 36 through 37. I skipped these intentionally, but these verses are actually the key to helping us unlock the story and the meaning of this parable. So go back, look at verse 25. Verse 25 begins when a religious expert, a lawyer, puts Jesus to the test, asking him a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And do you love Jesus' response? Like many times in his ministry, Jesus responds himself with a question. Well, how do you interpret it? What do you see? And the religious leader replies with an answer that Jesus himself gave in other places in the gospel. From Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies to the man, that's it. You've got it. Just go. Do likewise. I couldn't have said it better myself. And we think in this part of the story, okay, buddy, just quit while you're ahead. But Jesus' answer wasn't good enough for this religious leader. And we're told, thankfully, Luke reveals some of the motivations of this religious expert in the narrative. First in verse 26, we're told that it was the intent of the lawyer to put Jesus to the test. So that's our first hint. And then here in verse 29, it says, he was desiring to justify himself. So just think, what is the law you're trying to do? He's trying to narrow his responsibility. Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Can, can we get a little bit to the fine print of what you mean when you say this. 
And I think this is important for us, if you call yourself a Christian here this morning, to pause and think about this moment of the story. Because one of the most tragic pieces of this story is how easy it is for insiders to miss the gospel. One of the main points of this story is, is to show how easy it is for the insiders to miss the point. Because we, if we're honest, are terrible at even understanding the standard, let alone living by God's standard. Jesus says to this man, you have no idea the standard. Your understanding of the law is too small and your estimation of your ability to keep it is too big because my plans of redemption are much bigger than you can imagine. You just remember back to Genesis 12, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The lawyers trying to narrow the scope of the gospel which is the opposite of God's plan of redemption from the beginning. The gospel is not about what we do or ultimately how we neighbor, but how Jesus has neighbored us. Because God is the one who reaches down into the ditch and who rescues not just half-dead people, but completely dead, lifeless people. And he is the one who gives them new life. God is the one who did mercy for us, who had compassion on us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place on the cross. And so we return to the original question from verses 36 and 37. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus he changes the question. Which of these, after you've heard the story, has proved to be the neighbor? And the answer is clear, even to the religious leader. Well, of course, it's the one who showed mercy. Jesus is trying to show this lawyer and us this morning, our need for God's mercy and redemption. He's trying to show this lawyer and us this morning that we can't justify ourselves. Like we said last week from Romans 3, God is both the just and the justifier. And so the religious leader, how should he have replied to this question? Oh, now I see. I see the point of this story. I'm not like the Samaritan. I don't love God with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, and I don't love my neighbor as myself. I see my need for mercy and redemption that you alone, Jesus, can give. Jesus came to justify us. We can't justify ourselves. So we've got the story and we've got the conversation, which helps gives a, give us context to unlock. What does it mean for us? What does this mean 
for us. There's so much more that we could say about this story, about the radical nature in which it tears down racial and ethnic divides, about the power of a united church made in God's image. But today, I just want us to consider one takeaway. The great Samaritan's compassion toward us frees us to live in these radical ways with deep gratitude. The great Samaritan's compassion toward us frees us to live in these radical ways with deep gratitude. Because instead of living to justify ourselves, we're called to live to glorify God. And if you're here this morning and you thought that the point of these stories was just to be a good Samaritan and that's the way to earn your way to heaven, put down your pride and attempt at control and put on the mercy and the righteousness that Jesus Christ freely offers to us in the gospel. Because all our strivings are for nothing apart from Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because then, only then, can we, empowered by the Holy Spirit, empowered by Jesus, can we be free to love like him? Because Christian, we are called to love in these ways, but the order is important. We first have to understand how we have been loved in this way before we can unlock our motivation and understanding for what it means for us. In a moment, we're gonna have an opportunity to pass the mics, to give thanks for what God has been doing in our midst over these last months and years, where the Lord has been at work. And I was reminded, uh, Jess's grandfather, Reverend Tom Van Heuvel, he loved the Heidelberg Catechism. He was a PCA pastor and he died earlier this year from COVID, but I can still hear his voice reciting Lord's Day 1, question number 2, which asks, how many things are necessary for you to know that in this comfort you may live and die happily? Just three things. First, to understand the greatness of my sin and misery. Second, how I am redeemed from my sins and misery. And third, how I am thankful to God for such redemption. Our redemption leads us into a heart of thankfulness. And you know the mark of a man is that he said it and he lived it too. One of the most beautiful responses we can give in response to the grace and mercy given to us in the gospel is thankfulness. And so let's do that now together as a church family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your redemption that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ how he frees us to live sacrificially because of his sacrifice on the cross. We pray that we can put down our strivings 
that we can put aside our attempts to justify ourselves and to control, would we be able to reflect on your goodness and mercy towards us, your rich compassion that you extend and show through the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, lead us together into a time of thankfulness, we pray. Amen.